I invite you this morning to John 17, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I have a more of a topical message to leave with you this morning. It's been on my mind and I wanted to bring to you today. So John chapter 17 is, of course, is the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus. And it is full of instruction, of course. I want to think about it in a very specific area. So we're going to read from John 17, just from verse 20. John 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thy Father art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Amen. Standing there at verse 23. Let's seek the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we ask again for your help. We stand before the table, the set, prepared that we might sit today and remember the Lord as He is appointed. And the preparation of the heart is needed. We're thankful for all that has preceded this moment. And we ask for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember those that are unsaved. Remember those that are backslidden, cold. Remember those that are needing guidance and counsel. Remember those that need encouragement. Whatever the need, Lord, meet that need. And instruct us from thy word today. We pray above, merely going through what we've considered and thought about, that there may be that message from God, and that the Holy Spirit will take the word and apply it powerfully. May it generate thought. May it cause repentance. May it deepen our belief and faith and trust in God. And may it reform our lives and prepare us. Oh God, that we might be more like our Lord Jesus. So hear us, help us, and glorify thine own name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Does community matter? Does it matter that you are part of a community? What, what do we mean even when we use the word Community. Some might say, well, family is a form of community. And if I have my family, I have everything I need. Others might say, well, I don't really have much connection with my family, so I have to find some sense of community elsewhere. Maybe in church, maybe in some other association or group of people with similar interests. Or maybe you just think, I'm not one of those people, I'm kind of a loner. Not all that interested in spending time with others. I feel very comfortable just in my own space and my own time, and I don't need any of that. Although the word community is not found in 
our English translation of the Scriptures, it does address the subject. It, it deals with it in various ways. The word communion is often what we find, and that's where we get our word community, of course. And you find it throughout the New Testament, and often you'll find it translated as fellowship as well. In fact, it's translated in a number of different ways. And in many instances, when we read our New Testament, we find fellowship and communion brought about in, in a kind of interchangeable fashion, that fellowship has that sense of participation and, and sharing, and, and we find that in any sense of community, there's a participation, there's a sharing. And sometimes the word is used in a way that indicates that something is being given, so we're given materially, and that way we're, we're sharing of what we have materially with others, and there you have that same sense of community. This morning we're coming to the Lord's table. Sometimes we refer to it as communion. Again, giving this idea that there is a community coming together. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so it has broad application. When we read communion, when you read fellowship, when you read words like that in your New Testament, and the underlying Greek word is the same, you have this broad application where it is indicating really there is a pulling together of people with a shared interest and even sharing what they have and who they are with others. We are part of a denomination, the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, coming out of the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster. We share a common doctrinal agreement we might term like, like doctrinal communion that is there existing between us. We also share a common objective because we agree on what these things are. We also agree in what they require of us. They require of us the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And so we together pull our resources so that we might train pastors and support missionaries already on the field. But I want to think of this subject in light of the, the whole idea of, of community. Just thinking of it broadly, hopefully biblically as well, as, as we ask the question, why, why does community matter? Or, or what I've titled simply, Why Community Matters. I'm stating it in that fashion. Why community matters? Because there's, there are certain things that we take for granted, things that we do, and yet if we were asked, well, why do you do that? You, you might struggle to establish biblical grounds for it. You might not be able to argue the case from the Word of God. Why do you get up in the morning and go to work? You might say, well, because if I don't, I'll have nothing to eat. And in one sense, that would be right, and you could find scriptures that would support that, but there's, there's more theological significance to someone going and working and providing and all the rest of it. And so it is with community. And what we have in this body, you might say we have a sense of community, or there is a community here at 1207 Haywood Road. But it's not just something that is convenient, or at least it shouldn't be. It should be established upon the Word of God, and we should be aware of what it is that God has done and is doing here in our midst and in all of our hearts. So, as we look at this subject, I want us to think, first of all, of the existence of community, the existence of community. Again, here we are this morning. Why did you come here? Why did you gather in this fashion? Is it, is it just, is this, this is what I do. I, I go here. Or is there more to it than that? <clears throat> is there more going on? Why is it that you feel connected with people? 
or at least some people. What's going on there? Is this just a kind of natural fallout? Is it something that developed simply because God made man in a certain way and then man discovered a sense of community between himself and others? Did God have anything to do with that? Or is it just something that kind of fell out, a consequence of making man? I think it's important for us to give glory where it is due, and namely to God. The only reason that there is any sense of community among men is because God has it to be so. Go to Genesis chapter 1, just to see for a moment what I mean. Genesis chapter 1. The well-known words of verse 26. So God is making the world, comes to the point where Man is yet to be made, and we learn from Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and so on and so forth. Let us make man in our image. Now, Now, some have looked at that and have said, well, there you have the Trinity. And I wouldn't go that far. It's not establishing, it's not the first text to go to and say the Trinity is a biblical doctrine. Now I think it's inferred once we establish that the Trinity is a biblical doctrine from other clear passages. But at the very least what it shows is there is fellowship in the Godhead. God is saying, now I, not saying I am going to make man in my image, but let us make man in our image. There is connection. There is community. There is fellowship between the persons of the Godhead. Now, we know from other passages, we believe the Trinity is a biblical doctrine, and we can then go back and see how that has worked out in the earlier scriptures and say that there is, there is fellowship, there is connection, there is communion, there is, there is uh, this relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So before there's a creation of humanity, before there is a creation of the world, we have to see that there is, in a a sense, community in God. There has always been a community in God. It didn't come about with Adam and Eve and their offspring, and them having their children and their children's children, they're all ga- gathering together and congregating in various places and having common ground and saying, well, this now is a community. It's the fruit of God who already has established, eternally there is established this community between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then when he says, let us make man in our image, you have reflected in that image the very same kind of thing going on, a connection between us. Matthew Henry, he, he writes, the famous Bible commentator, he says, the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, consult about it. That's the creation of man he's referring to. They consult about it and concur in it because man, when he was made, was to be dedicated and devoted to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Into that great name we are, with good reason, baptized. For to that great name we owe our being. We owe our being. 
You owe your being to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when you are, you, you are brought into the church, there is the experience of baptism that signifies you owe your being and your allegiance to the triune God who made you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are each distinct in their persons, yet perfectly united in love and purpose. And while there are many mysteries about the Trinity, for sure, it is from the eternal triune God that community even exists. There is, there is no community except for this truth. Now, we talk today a lot about communication. Never has there been a time where there's so much communication. Has there? I mean, it's crazy. You're constantly, I mean, think of, think of life, you know, not that long ago. <laughs> you know, before, before cell phones, even, even before telephones, and before radio, and before television, and, you know, before email, and all of this. Was there communication? Sure there was, but it was different. It certainly wasn't as frequent. You know, if you wanted to talk to someone who lived in the same town, you had to be face-to-face. There was no way of communicating with them without being face-to-face, unless, of course, you write a letter. Again, that has to be passed on, and it's slow, and you have to wait for the response if a response is expected. And so our world now is one where communication has taken on a completely different experience to what was ever known in the past. We just shoot an email off or shoot a text message off or a little voice message that we can send via phones or, you know, just constant. I mean, multiple communication. Maybe I don't know how many emails you get in a day, but most, most people get overwhelmed with email, overwhelmed sometimes with even text messages, overwhelmed with constant contact and people reaching out to you and wanting your attention for this thing and the other. But even when you send an email... The very existence of email, I'm not talking about the technology of it, but the fact that it exists and man utilizes it, is evidence of the triune God eternally in communion, each of the persons of the Trinity. Because you would have no interest in contacting, communicating, interacting in the way that you do through text and calls and emails and social media and whatever way or form it might be. You would have no interest. I I could even say you may not perhaps even have had the ability. I pointed this out in other contexts, but think of other creatures. Think of the way they communicate. Some of it is complex, sure. Some of it we're, we're kind of amazed. We're still trying to figure out dolphins and elephants and whales and you know, the, the way they communicate does cause great interest among those that are given to those areas and fields of study. But we simply have not, and we're never going to find any creature that communicates on the level of humanity. The complexity of it. The fashion in which we do it. Sometimes through just plain statements and, and the most direct forms of speech, sometimes through flowery poetic imagery, sometimes through music without words, and all sorts of ways in which we communicate. And this all flows out of the fact that we remain in the image of the triune God. 
Community exists because God made us in His image. This God who has this eternal communion between the persons of the Godhead. So when you send an email, the fingerprint of God is on it. When you send a text message, the fingerprint of God is on it. When you talk on the phone, you engage on social media for all of its downsides, it has the very fingerprint of God on it because you would have no interest in it or any ability to use it unless you were made in the image of God. So we give Him glory for all these things that we have in our modern era. But this is why community exists. Because it has always existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Secondly, the expression of community. The expression of it. So the fact that it exists is one thing. How is it expressed? And of course you could go down all sorts of areas to consider this. But I, I just want to make some statements, some observations in relation to community that we find in Scripture that I think can be helpful for us uh, just to to meditate upon. And uh, I think you can go further than I have gone and intend to go this morning, but just laying out certain things that are true. Because here we have a community. And what is to be reflected by it? What is to be expressed by it? So so the fact that we're here is because we've been made in the image of the triune God. But, But what are we showing? What are we expressing? What is going on here or in any other community? that is under the authority of the Lord. First, we might say community is relational. Therefore, love is expressed by affection. Community is relational. Therefore, love is expressed by affection. Right? So, so community has this relationship aspect. And that relationship aspect is seen in the affection or the love that there is between the parties together. Again, John 17, where we read, you see in John 17, verse 23, if you go back there, maybe you're still in Genesis 1, where the Lord prays, I am them and thou and me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So the Son, who's praying, communing with the Father, knows that he is loved and always has been loved. And he is saying that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That he has loved his people. The community of the saints being pulled together by the gospel, taking root in their hearts and changing their lives, shows that God loves them. I mean, it should, shouldn't it? What what are we expressing this morning? Do we gather here to hail to the denomination? Praise to our pastor. I mean, no, no. Our worship is directed to the triune God. The glory we are giving is to God and what He has done. And the fact that we are recipients of love through the sending of the Son of God who has come to take our place, be our substitute, mediate between God and us, and reconcile us in a way that we could never achieve. We glory in that. Remember, the Father has always loved the Son. You know, when, he, when he, you have there as baptism, where heaven opens, 
and the father comes and speaks audibly, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's not saying that as if this, I am beginning to do this. I've just started to love him. It is a, a declared statement to all that are gathered. This is my beloved son in whom, implied is, I have always been pleased in him. He is my son. And so there's this expression of love and communion that exists. So when the Son of God takes our flesh, nothing changes. As far as the relationship between the Son and the Father. So here's what we're establishing. Community is relational. It has to be relational. It must be. There is no community without the relationship. But that relationship is shown by affection. There's a love that exists. That's what Jesus is praying about. The world may know that thou sent me and hast loved them. They to know that God loves them. We love them. We therefore are people loved. Loved by God. And so you read, for example, John 3.16, God so loved the world. It's not, it's, not, it's not an expression of divine duty, is it? God, God felt obligated to do the No. It's affection. So community is relational. Therefore, love is expressed by affection. Now that has lots of application, doesn't it? To us. For if we are recipients of this love, if we've been brought into this community by the gospel, then, then there's to be a relationship. We don't, we don't get to be loners. We don't. We just... I say that as someone who's very comfortable in my own, like, space, you know. I can just, I can go down to my office and I can just be there. <laughs> I'll be quite happy there and I'm not craving what's going on upstairs and whatever might be going on. And other. I could be quite content there, you know, books around me and things to do. But you don't get to do that. So it's, not, it's not biblical just to live your life that way. There has to be love shown. There has to be contact made. There has to be an intermingling of life. Secondly, community is missional. Therefore, love is expressed by serving. Community is missional. Community has a mission. And so, the love of that community is expressed by service. Matthew 20. Go to Matthew 20. Now, the world has its community, sense of community, expressions of community. But that's not what the Lord is after, merely. What the world does without the gospel. Matthew 20, verse 25. Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them on to him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. They that are great exercise authority upon them. They have their communities. and The princes have dominion in their community. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, right? So again, assumed community among you, people together, right? Just like they have. The Gentiles have it. You have it. 
But your community looks different. It shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Community is missional. Therefore, love is expressed by serving. By serving. This community adopts different rules. It's not looking at it and saying, there's a community over there. Look how the princes are all served and everything is about them. Jesus says, no, my community is different. My community is expressed where the greatest take a posture of service. Where the real princes in their midst and princesses are those who say, I'm here to serve them. I overheard a conversation between my wife and my children very recently, in which she was establishing to them the fact that that, that uh, the church is not there for you to get something out of it. It's there for you to serve what you put into it, what you can give to it, and teaching the children that. that you give. You have a community. You don't sit there and say, what can I get out of this? It's like, what, what am I called to give to it? Why am I here? What can I give to it? And that's how it functions. Everyone does that. Then everyone's seen as as meeting the criteria that the Lord expects among his community. You know, it's challenging for sure. We all want to get something out of things. <laughs> but Jesus, no. No, that's what, that's what the Gentiles who exercise dominion want. What can I get out of it? But my community, we have a mission. And so in that mission and fulfilling that mission, our love is expressed by serving. Jesus didn't come to this earth simply to say, here I am, the Son of God, everyone bow down before me. It's not the example that he left. The example that he left was far from that. It's condescension, humility. We have, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so it's not about trying to establish ourselves. It's not trying to get our own thing across. It is a service. Thirdly, as we think of the expression of community, community is diverse. Therefore, love is expressed by humility. Not just by service specifically, but by humility. Community is diverse. Therefore, love is expressed by humility. One thing that marks many communities is a sense of everyone kind of being the same. And think of, think of you know, think of a book club. Well, what marks a book club? You know, everybody's interested in books, right? And you might get into even more narrow forms of it. Maybe we have the, the Harry Potter book club. You know, why are they all there? They're interested in Harry Potter for the pros and cons of that, whatever. I'm not getting into that now. But you see what the people's interests. Shakespeare. Robert Burns, poetry, we go and come together for Burns Night and quote Robert Burns, poetry. You know, all these things, you know, people have a certain interest in things. And they're brought together. But this community is diverse. And this, this, is, this is hard for us. Turn to Psalm 113, Psalm 113. 
to try to convey this truth to you through this psalm. Now, there's, there's a contrast in this psalm, very powerful contrast, and it only comes across when you read it, the entire thing together. So, let me just take time to read through Psalm 113 with you. Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Right? So, what's established? The distinction of God. Elevate it above the heavens, above the nations. There's nothing and no one like God. So if God is to have community and limit that community with those that are like Him, then again you go back to eternity past. It can only happen with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what do we read? This is the amazing thing. This psalm shows something that is to be established in every believer's heart as well, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. To even the things in heaven, he's humbling himself to look at those things. And the things on earth, humbling himself to look at those as well. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. He sees them, the poor in the dust, the needy in the dunghill. He sees them there. And it's not below him, as it were, to come and lift them out, to help them, to minister unto them, to express a form of humility by the condescension of stepping into them, their lives and their need. Verse 8, that he may set him with princes, even the princes of his people. His objective is to raise them up. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Is, is there anything more in need? Is there, is there anything where it is so common to this world? And he comes and sees that need. He comes and recognizes that cry. And he condescends to it. Now ask yourself the question, just to, to kind of lay this out. What politician functions on a policy of having this kind of attention to detail to specific individuals like this. They don't. And even if they wanted to, they couldn't. They can't go to every individual home and meet the needs of those homes. They can't do it. Now they can enact policy. And hopefully those policy, rather than pulling people down, lift them up. Hopefully they help them to get out of the dunghills of life. And to, to make their way in the world. Hopefully policy can help in various ways. But, but here we have the eternal, incomprehensible God. Condescending. To someone in the middle of the no nowhere. Who's weeping over their barrenness. Or someone who's weighed down by the consequences of sin and the fall. So I say, community is diverse, therefore love is expressed by humility. However, whatever the status of your life, whatever your position in this world, you are to condescend. 
It can be really hard to see the needs of others in a different place in life. It can. That's part of our problem. We don't have the eyes of the Lord. Oh, Lord, give us, give us a sight like yours. We don't see it. I mean, that was really the problem with the priest and the Levite, wasn't it? Enabled them to pass by on the other side. They couldn't see. And what they could see, they weren't willing to respond to. They didn't see. They didn't see like the Samaritan. Fourthly, as we consider the expression of community, community is practical, therefore love is expressed by generosity. Community is practical, therefore love is expressed by generosity. Again, God's love to us, His establishing of community with His people, is not something that is, hey, can, you know, I, I want to pull you to be with me, but there's, He's not, He ignores our practical need. He doesn't. He doesn't. He saw our greatest need that we could never meet. Our shortcomings by our sin. Cut off. Doomed to eternal judgment. And he didn't just say, here, try better. Do better. Try harder. <laughs> he came and did the work. So in Acts 2, if you flip over there, familiar to many of you, I'm sure. But Acts 2, you see this worked out in the church community that gets practical here with on the day of Pentecost and the following days. Verse 41. They that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, I have seen this passage mentioned many years ago. A gentleman who was at that stage far more mature, had been saved way longer than me, and I was only a Christian a couple of years, and they said, well, you know, the Bible teaches socialism. <laughs> and they went to this passage, and I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? You know, not getting into that subject this morning. But it was as every man had need, and those needs arose. I've said this before, so most of you know this already. Those needs arose because of their commitment to Christ and being cut off from their Jewish community. And some of them perhaps had great wealth and they had the ability to last. You know, they could be cut off, but they had more than enough to get by for maybe multiple lifetimes. Such was their position in life. But there were others in that community that responded to the appeal of the gospel. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And they repent and believe the gospel and they have nothing. They're just... They're just average Joes in the community. And as soon as they, they take Christ, and then they're rejected. They, they maybe weren't even expecting it. Because that's what happens when you get converted. You get such a sense of conviction, and so powerfully overwhelmed by the gospel, 
you think surely everyone must feel the same way. That's what I, when I was converted, I remember every unbeliever that came into the church for months afterwards, I thought, you know, they have to respond to this. You know, the preacher's preaching and you're thinking, they have to be saved. How could they not? Why would they, why would they reject it? But they did. So they responded in good faith. Maybe they had no idea what they were about to experience, the utter ostracization of their community. Now they're in poverty. And the other believers, they can't watch, they can't stand by and let them starve. So they start rearranging things so that they can help. I have a piece of land, I'll sell it. It should help. So community is practical. Love is expressed by generosity. Also, and finally, in this expression of community, community is eschatological, therefore love is expressed by accountability. Community is eschatological. That is, our community is headed somewhere, right? Eschatology, doctrine of last things. We're going somewhere, all of us, who are in Christ. You're going somewhere, I'm going somewhere, we're all going somewhere. If we're in Christ, we're going to the same place. There's a lot of similarity in what is going to develop for us in our future. So, so, since we're all going to the same place, our love, the sense of our community, brings about a sense of accountability. Go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. It'll be a while before we get here in our series, so it's not like I'm spoiling anything. But Hebrews 10... Verse 23, well known again. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful and promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, not denying that there's a community among us, not ignoring the fact that we align not just on paper but in life together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, sometimes preachers take this passage and say, you need to be at the Lord's house. You have an obligation to God to be at His house and under His word and then public worship. And I would say, yeah, I mean, that's, I'm not going to deny that there's an application there. But what really is, is driving the apostle here? It is the obligation we have to one another. Don't forsake. Your presence in the community matters. And when we all come together, something happens. When we're living as we should, we exhort one another. Your presence this morning is an exhortation to others of the value of gathering to worship God collectively in a public fashion as we do. You're exhorting, even non-verbally. You're communicating the importance of gathering. 
your unbelieving neighbors who see you leave the house at the same time every Lord's Day. What are you doing? You're in a certain fashion. You're exhorting something to them. You're saying something to their life, to their life. And you're saying it to one another as well. And so there's an accountability here because we're headed, we're all going the same direction. We see the day approaching. We're all headed there. And so we show our love by accountability. Provoking, encouraging, helping, checking. Everyone, everyone's involved in this. It's not just minister, not just elders, everyone. Provoking to love and to good works. All right, finally, a brief the extension of community. The extension of community. We've seen the existence of it, the expression of it, the extension of it. So we have noted this morning that God made man in his image. And in doing so, that image made man capable of the blessing and privilege of, of community. Right? We, we can experience it in a way like other creatures cannot. But ask why. Why does God take one of his creatures and not only give them ability to communicate deeply and profoundly with one another, but with him? Because he gives them the ability to commune with him. Is it because he was lonely? Eternal triune God, lonely? No. Missing something in his experience? No. And I don't really have an answer to that question I have posed, except that it was for his glory. God is glorified by creating man so that man can commune with God and God communes with man and man communes with his fellow man. And when he does so, when he makes, blesses man or when he makes man in his image, we're told then that he, he blesses and he, he gives a command to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. In other words, this creature who can hold fellowship with God and can have community with one another, this creature is to multiply so that more can have that fellowship with God and interconnectedness with one another. Again, we're not, we're not like the serpent. <laughs> the serpent came in the garden and the serpent was completely different to man. Serpents don't have community. They are all isolated creatures doing their own thing. They're not even reared by their parents. They hatch out of their eggs and they're on their own from day one. You weren't made that way. But God does not want this community to be small. He blessed them, told them to be fruitful and multiply. So the goal then is a growing community. 
a growing community of divine image bearers, living in fellowship with God and one another. That's the goal. Multiply, Adam and Eve. Go! So that you all can enjoy fellowship with your God and one another. What prevented the extension of that community? Sin. Sin. Adam and Eve, they sin. And what, what does Adam do straight away? What does Adam and Eve do straight away? They run from God. They hear the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they run away. They avoid. Same thing people do at times. When they get out of touch with God, or they're overwhelmed by sin, overwhelmed by the circumstances of their life, what do they do? I call them up. Monday, Tuesday, missed you. Everything all right? Ah, just feeling X, Y, or Z. Usually it's a consequence of sin. Something has kept them. Legitimate or not. So the rebellion of our first parents made them desert God. Fellowship with God is broken. And they sever the community entirely. The whole human race gets severed from God because of sin. And so it gets corrupted. Man doesn't lose his inherent dignity, but he does lose his inherent beauty. It's corrupted. The perfection of man is corrupted. But God does three things. If you go, don't have to go to Genesis 3. Our time's almost gone. But you see three things. If you read Genesis 3 carefully, God pursues to communicate, right? He's pursuing. He's going after Adam in the garden. He promises to convince him, and then he pictures something to comfort him. What does he promise to convince him? The gospel. The seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And then he pictures. And the killing of those creatures, the skins of which he clothes Adam and Eve as a picture to comfort them that there will be a substitute for them. This is God pursuing communion, fellowship with men. So Christ comes to restore fellowship, to bring a proper community together. Man, man tries. Oh, you see it in Genesis, don't you? You see it in Genesis. The offspring of Cain. They try to start building cities and having their community. And, you know, it seems, you know, in contrast to Seth's line, it seems very grand and glorious. But God doesn't care about it. I mean, it's not where his attention is. His attention is to Seth. And that line where men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And you see it go on with the the Tower of Babel and a sense of community. And he's not, God's not interested in false forms of community. As grand and powerful as they may be. It has to begin with the gospel. That's why this church is not first and foremost some kind of social club where we all have certain common interests but it's founded upon, and it must always be founded upon, the fact that the real community that matters to God is that which is established by the gospel. Where divine image bearers are brought into fellowship with God. That's the first thing that needs to be addressed. Without that, it's all just, it's empty. It doesn't mean anything. It's all temporary. 
See, God, God is in the business of fellowship and communion that is expands through eternity. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, you know this deep down because those that you love, you never want to let go of them. That's why we have the pain of parting. That's why we have such sense of loss when people die because of the, the fellowship that we have. And we know it deep down. Parents that we love, spouses, children, we feel it. And it means something to us. And when we have to watch them part, it hurts. And so the communion that God sets up with His people, first and foremost, must span eternity. It must go on. Because if they matter to Him, then they're always going to matter. So the little communities you have that pop up all across the world, that are not founded on the gospel, they're going to come to an end. And they'll perish and they'll go to hell, not knowing God, never experience time or anything with one another ever again, cut off in a place that is the blackness of darkness forever. But you, through Christ, you who are reconciled to your God, this feast that is a memorial and a reminder of the fact that the first most important thing, communion, is I'm right with God. I'm right with God. And He loves me. And He he beckons me to fellowship with him. He calls upon me to enjoy his presence. To elevate it above every other thing in life. And then to join with others who've had the same miraculous experience. And so the community extends through the preaching of the gospel. That, that's the only community that matters. I mean, we could, we could, we could do things here, couldn't we? Like we could, we could say, let's have this kind of thing. Whatever it might be, you know. Start up this club and that club, and they're all like little separate branches out of the church. Little clubs. A whole bunch of people say, I'm interested in that. Well, I'll come to that little club. <laughs> But we're reversing the whole thing. The disciples were not sent out to establish clubs that would interest carnal men. They were sent out to preach the gospel, to gather in those for whom Christ died, and pull them together into a community that would enjoy life together, share that life together, love each other, be generous to one another, and then have the joy of knowing that that brother, that sister... I'll spend eternity with them. Now, you may look at some brothers and sisters and maybe you might grieve over that. <laughs> oh, I have to spend eternity with them. Well, don't worry. The Lord will perfect us all and we'll go on, as we say in Ulster, like a house on fire. There'll be no bickering and fighting and silly nonsense that happens on this side of eternity. So you have something here. You sit at this table and you've been brought into communion with God. So I want you to remember that. You come and sit at this table and remember, God is interested in fellowship and communion. He sent a son. Nothing could more powerfully prove his desire for fellowship with me than this that reminds me of what he did to make it happen. Then as you leave the table, as you leave the table, I want you to think about this. 
God's interested in expanding and extending this community. And that's why he calls me to preach the gospel to every creature. That others might sit at the same table and enjoy the same blood-bought benefits and have the same reassurance that God loves them. So, think about it as you sit at the table. He wants fellowship with me. And then as you leave it, he wants fellowship with others. There were some remarks I was going to make from John 17. Our time is gone, so I'll leave it. I trust enough has been said to encourage you today. Why community matters. It matters because it matters to God. The Lord bless his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Child of God, let me reassure you of the Lord's love. And that the one thing He's looking for from you is daily expression of fellowship. He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. He chased you through whatever wilderness of life where you were hiding in bushes and covering yourself in fig leaves and he came to deal with your sin reconcile you to himself and he has no regrets he does not look back and regret the day he stepped into your life and drew you to himself so bathe in the knowledge of his love by faith know the cleansing washing redeeming power of the blood of Christ Let your heart swell in gratitude that this God is my God and he will be my guide even unto death. Lord, bless your word. Bless your people. Bless this church with a deeper comprehension of the communion we have with the triune God and then of its outflow to one another and to the world. Oh God, protect what we have here. We are not ignorant of the devil's devices. And we plead, O Lord, that thou wilt continue to work in us both to will and to do of thy good pleasure and to make us more consistent with our claim to be thy people. Be with us around the table now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.